Suck at Golf, and let me tell you why. I'm Avery Dovsek, the host of the Why You Suck at Golf podcast, and welcome back to another episode. I hope you had a great week full of birdies, pars, minimal bogeys, definitely no double bogeys, but if you didn't, I'm about to make your day with an episode with LPGA player Christina Kim. All around, she's phenomenal. Her style, the way she plays on the course, what she believes in, what she fights for, she's awesome. But before we get into it, let's hear from Anchor. On the other end of this call, I have LPGA player Christina Kim. She has a fun style of fashion, an even better game on the course, and is a fantastic role model for girls everywhere. How are you today? I am so good, Avery. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. I want to make it known that you woke up at 6 in the morning, your time, to be on this podcast. (laughs) And I think that's amazing. Well, no, that's a lie because I woke up at 5.43 completely freaking out because I was supposed to be up at 4.43 because I had said we were going to call at 5 and I slept in like I was in high school. (laughs) I like how you set your alarm to 43. I do the same thing and people think I'm wild. They're like, why can't you pick like fives and tens on the numbers? I'm like, "Ah." (laughs) what's life without a little whimsy? Um, well, I'm in Southern Oregon right now. We just finished playing a tournament in Portland and we've got a week off. So I decided instead of going back home to Florida where it's hot, it's muggy, it's raining. Um, and I'm from Northern California. So I'm from the West coast. I decided I was going to stay here for a couple of days and then, uh, just kind of drive around the entire, uh, West coast. So I'm on my way to California after this. Ooh, that's where I'm from. Where are you headed in California? I'm not going to lie. I don't really have a plan. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that even yeah. more. <laughs> what, like I said, what's life without a little whimsy, you know? Exactly. Well, head down to Orange County if you want a good time. Yeah, I'm, I'm going too far south. I'm from NorCal. We don't do that. Okay, good, good. good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about your life over the past few months and how your life has transitioned from a pandemic golfer to a competing pandemic golfer. How has that been? Yeah. Well, it's been fascinating. Um, You know, when everything kind of shut down in March, you know, obviously nobody knew what was going to be taking place. Nobody knew where we'd be at. Nobody would know that, you know, six months down the road, we would have more than 200,000 people that have died from this virus. And, um, you know, I, I, been working really hard on a lot of things to better myself, you know, as a person, as a golfer, as a daughter, as a friend. And so I just kind of dedicated myself to just really taking care of myself, Um, you know, socially distancing myself from people, uh, making sure that I'm focusing on my golf and all the good things that I do have in my life. So I've been, um, you know, just kind of maintaining that sort of mindset of just taking care of myself in a way that is safe and away from people. And, um, you know, the competition has been pretty awesome to come back to. It's been definitely different, definitely borderline freaky, just because, you know, we're, we're traveling from city to city. If you follow me on social media, you know that I'm like always wearing a, you know, freaking Tyvex hazmat suit along with safety goggles, um, gloves, just because, um, you know, and, and some people might sit there and say it's overkill and they're allowed to have that opinion. I don't really care because, you know, this is my prime, this is my prime source of income playing on tour. 
um, along with the fact that I just love being able to be back out playing on tour, competing. So, you know, I'm just taking every precaution that I can. I stay, you know, I, I joke I've been preparing for COVID for the last two and a half years because I always stay by myself anyway. Um, I have gone out to dinner with friends like five times in the last two and a half years. So I'm doing in a lot of ways, nothing different, but playing without fans and, you know, without the massive leaderboards and um, all of that, it's definitely been an interesting transition, to say the very least. Do you think that that has impacted your playing or do you just kind of let it roll off your shoulder? Um, I think I would be remiss to say that it hasn't had an impact whatsoever, just because it's changed. I mean, to be fair, just getting back into competition after a month off has been changed for me. Like, I... I, you know, I, I, I've never spent this much time at home before. And so, you know, the golf course I play out of Orange Tree Golf Club in Orlando, you know, I have my own golf cart that I own that I leave uh, parked over there in the cart barn. And I just basically had been spending six months of taking whatever the hell I want and bringing it and just dumping it in the golf cart. And so when I started traveling, I'm like, well, let's see, if I go to the golf course to practice, do I need these four and a half pounds of various nuts? Do <laughs> I need like, an, you know, a protein shake bottle as well as my 40 ounce hydro flask? Do I need <laughs> this, that? And so it's been kind of interesting having to reconsolidate. Um, and I know a lot of people lately have been doing the whole Marie Kondo thing of, you know, letting go of things that don't bring you joy. And I'm like, but nuts bring me so much joy. I, I, <laughs> I have done the opposite where I'm like all of a sudden turning into like a mini hoarder and I'm like, what do I do with all this stuff? Um, and, you know, obviously not having fans there has been different, you know, um, you, I mean, you really do feed off the energy of the crowds out there, uh, whether you're conscious of it or not. And so even if you're someone that's not a big fan of having crowds in general, it changes the way that you compete regardless of whether you want them there or not. It's, mm -hmm. You know, the silence is insane. Uh, the lack of grandstands, all of a sudden the golf course, you know, becomes, even though the grandstands have been removed, suddenly, you know, um, at least I know for a fact with the guys, you know, they just blast driver wherever they can and hit as far away from them as possible. And, you know, if they miss the fairway by a few yards, good chance is there's going to be a fan whose footsteps will have trampled down the grass. And now, you know, they're playing yeah, a real golf course all of a sudden. Yeah. So I know for them, it's been a lot more different of a transition than it has been for us. Um, because the ladies on tour, we tend to have a much straighter ball flight. And um, it just changes the aesthetics, you know, and, and I remember our first week back when we were at Inverness, one of the first things I noticed was one, you could see at any given point, you could see at least what felt like five or six golf holes aside from the one you were on, because there were no grandstands, there were no concessions, there was, you know, it was very, very, wow. um, you know, not bare bones in, in like a bad way by any means. It's just, it was, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic still. So it was just very different. And then um, also when you're on the golf course and you've got, you know, you have 72 players on the golf course and normally you're just like, oh my gosh, there are people everywhere. You felt like you were one of 12 people on the golf course the entire day. Wow. And it was a really, really different sensation. Um, it was really, it was, it was cool in a lot of ways because it was just so different, but it was 
definitely different is the best way to put it, I would say. Well, speaking of grandstands, I want to like talk about the ANA inspiration. What do you think of what they did with the blue wall on 18? Well, one, they always have grandstands normally. And in the last several years, I know that the grandstands had been up against the green. Um, two, the sponsor, you know, I mean, they're paying millions of dollars to advertise their brand. And so, you know, I mean, say what you will about it. Everyone had to deal with it and everyone had to play with it there. So there are going to be people that are going to bitch and moan and say, oh, well, you know, it's uh, Miriam got lucky, this and that. At what point has a tournament ever been played where the winner did not get some form of good luck one way or another? Very true. It's golf. Golf is a great metaphor for life. Sometimes you are presented with an opportunity that other people just don't see. You know, I mean, every great inventor, everyone's been around everything that could have been invented. They just didn't. And so for me, I have, you know, everyone had to deal with it. If you were able, if you're in a position where you were straight enough off the tee and you were long enough where you could go for that green and two and you did your homework and you knew that the uh, wall was there against the grass and not floating in the water. That's, you know, I mean, that, that it was put there. If you want to use it, go ahead and use it. I, I was not in a position where I was able to do that myself. Um, and realistically, I don't know if I would have, mm-hmm. but that's, that's neither here nor there. You know I mean? The fact that everyone's sitting here bitching and moaning and saying it's, you know, it's taking away from the game, this or that or whatever. I mean, it was there. There's nothing that we could do about it. And, you know, most people just think, oh, okay, a company's just going to sit there and throw money at professional golf just to be able to, because they're good people. You know, obviously the people with ANA are, are pretty phenomenal because they were willing to host a women's major during the midst of a pandemic. They moved their tournament nearly six months um, away. They're going to host us again in about six months. I think that that proves that they're a sponsor that cares. And they've been a wonderful partner that has continually elevated the tournament year after year. So, um, you know, you want to put a wall up to uh, showcase your brand? Go for it. Yeah, I agree. I Everyone played the same course that day. So... I think that's a common thing. You know, this, you get a bad break there, a good break. It's like at the end of the day, it's all the same golf course. You all had the same opportunity. Exactly. Well, you touched upon how you joked about having your nuts and your protein shake. And I have to say, you look phenomenal. Um, I'm very into health and fitness. And I remember back a couple months ago, we talked about how you kind of adopted the ketogenic lifestyle. Are you still with that? Or tell people why you even made that transition. Well, um, yeah, so about a a little over a year ago, um, you know, I've had friends and uh, people close to me that have tried the ketogenic lifestyle. And I hate the word diet because I have the word die in it. And there's just such a negative connotation to that word. Mm -hmm. And I was not in a good place, like mentally, emotionally, physically. And I had just said, you know, I mean, I I have friends that, you know, and, and realistically, I mean, it's just like any other sort of introduction to a new nutrition um, habit where, you know, my friends, they, they felt great. Their mental clarity had gone up. I had been a sugar monster 
and an uneducated one on top of that for my entire life. And so I just said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to give it a go. Um, it was not for aesthetic reasons because, I mean, I've been I've been a, you know, a, a bigger girl my entire life. I've leaned out a few times. You know, I've done a bunch of different things. I had gone vegan, gained 10 pounds. It was bullshit. I had <laughs> um, done paleo, dropped some weight there. I, I've also done um, what ended up turning into like fairly unhealthy ways of losing weight, which I didn't realize where, you know, I mean, I would run 40 plus miles a week and would legitimately eat nothing but spinach, sauteed in olive oil because I loved spinach. And I was like, oh, I was in a calorie deficit because I was only consuming like 700 calories a day. And I did that for about four months and I didn't realize what I was putting my body through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I did a little bit of research on it and I said, what's the worst that can happen? Like, a lot of the foods that I like to eat are permitted within the ketogenic lifestyle. I love avocados, you know, obviously growing up in California. And I was lucky enough that when I was a little girl, we had an avocado tree in our backyard, in our front yard, excuse me. And so I would just be able to go there and pick an avocado whenever I wanted, um, you know, wait three or four days, because a lot of people don't realize avocados don't begin to ripen until they've been plucked from the tree, which is insane. So avocados can stay on the tree Whoa. ready for you for months at a time. I didn't know that. Months. Yeah, it's amazing. They are they are truly just such an incredible um, fruit. And so I just started doing that. I, I, I also participate in what I call um, hibernation which is um, where I just basically shut down. Like I, I legitimately shut everything down and stay in bed for anywhere from like three to 10 days. And I started my hibernation, um, slept for about 17 hours a day for four days because I was, again, just emotionally and mentally exhausted. And yes, I'm very, very, very fortunate that I'm in a position where I can do that. Um, and in that time, I mean, all I ate were like walnuts, macadamia nuts, pecans, and just drank water. Um, so I was doing sort of like an, an, a unique sort of like fasting kind of period. And when I came out of it, my body had pretty much jumped into ketosis where my body was, I had been in essence denying my body carbs, which is how, you know, humans normally get their main source of energy um, and had been eating nothing but fats, basically, you know, like good, healthy fats. And so my body, my body jumped into ketosis and I was off to the races. Um, I didn't really suffer from the standard, they call it the keto flu, where you get, you know, you have the foggy brain and you have the, the um, you know, flu-like symptoms and things like that. I was very, very lucky because I didn't have to deal with those. I did end up getting some muscle cramps in my calves, which oh, sucked. Oh my gosh, waking up in the but... middle of the night to those. Oh my gosh. Oh. I, and I didn't know what was going on. And so I, you know, did some more research. It's fairly common. And um, I found out that, you know, as opposed to um, potassium, which is what people think is what you should be taking to fix cramps, I was actually in a magnesium deficit. Mm. And so I started taking a slow release magnesium supplement. And magnesium is great not only for muscle recovery, but it's also wonderful for the heart. And they went away. Like, Within a day, they went away. And so I take a ton of magnesium every day, make sure that I eat a lot of foods that are rich in, you know, all the nutrients that my body needs. And yeah, I mean, it was a kind of a, you know, it wasn't, I guess it was a nice bonus. I didn't really care, but I ended up dropping some weight and um, 
had also decided I was going to get back to uh, working out and not just running because I, I do still love to run. And I, um, you know, now I'm just, I'm a little fiend. I, I, I work out. <laughs> I love to work out. I've got a, a wonderful trainer, Ryan Blackburn at Orlando Golf Performance on Instagram that has really helped me transform my game. Um, because now, you know, I used to always joke that I was just a golfer and now I feel like I'm an athlete, yes. which is a really, really cool feeling. It's amazing. I love that. I can't, like, and the fact that you posted on social media and you show people, Hey, we're not just on an 18 hole course. We are grinding in the gym as well. Like golfers are athletes. And I think it's especially women you know, we see Bryson DeChambeau and how far he's hitting and what he did and how people are noticing finally, okay, these people are grinding. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a friend who I was talking to about golf and he was like, you know, for the longest time, like it's, it's true. Like golfers are athletes. He was like, you know, back in the old days, like say in the nineties, you know, um, obviously a lot of it had to do with the horrific fashion that was not <laughs> showcasing bodies very well. Um, <laughs> but he was like, I just always thought like, you know, like the guys on the PGA tour, like they all just look like substitute teachers in high school, Oh my! <laughs> you know, just a little soft, a little doughy, like you didn't really think, you know, and then tiger came onto the scene and you're like, Oh my gosh, he looks like I mean, obviously the name is perfect. I mean, he looked like a predatory cat. Like he would mm -hmm. slink on the golf course, you know, and, and watching Dustin walk with all of his swagger nowadays. And, you know, it's like they're now, I mean, these guys are, and, and the ladies as well, it's like, it's a dime a dozen. And so, you know, in order for me to feel like I was going to stay relevant within the game, I wanted to, I wanted to be a part of that. And um, so thankfully it was, it was an interesting journey because I, I had sort of lost a ton of weight at first. And so I was like, okay, now I feel like my knees can support me because they're having to support a hell of a lot less weight in order to really maximize and get the most gains that I can from my fitness plan. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. And I think, you know, when you're lighter on your feet, you have more energy, you know, you want to work out. And then when you start seeing results, it becomes almost addicting. Um, so I love that. But I want to go back to social media real quick and just talk about you're very vocal. And I love that because I feel like that's what we're lacking with a lot of professional athletes. I mean, now we're getting more into it. But, you know, go back a year ago, I feel like people are way more vocal now than they were. How have you dealt with the negative backlash you have um, gotten? Well, so, you know, I one, I've always been an advocate for civil rights, you know, whether it's you know, part of the LGBTQAI plus family, whether it's for women's rights, whether it's for religious freedom, um, and just just so that people can live their lives, because that's all I think anybody wants to do is to live their life, feel as though they can do what they want, live without, um, you know, fear of being persecuted based on the color of their skin, the religion, the genitalia they were born with, um, you know, even, you know, their sexual identity, things like that. And and I've always been an advocate for it. And, you know, in, in light of everything going on with the pandemic and, and now, you know, I mean, obviously the Black Lives Matter movement has been going on for, gosh, realistically over a decade. And mm -hmm. it's now starting to gain traction, um, even if it is due to tragic reasons. I was like, you know what, I've had enough. I, I have, I've, I've been having conversations with, 
friends and people that I don't know, you know, it's mostly been in person though. And I'm like, I can't reach a lot of people if the only people that I'm talking to are the ones that I know. Mm -hmm. And so I told myself, you know what, everyone, everyone is allowed their own opinion, mm -hmm. myself included, which comes as a shock to a lot of people. And <laughs> how dare I, you? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've dealt with a number of, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of it's been more passive aggressive, not, not outwardly aggressive of, you know, in essence, shut up and dribble. And so for me, I was just like, well, you know what, just like anybody on this planet that I, you know, will grant the, 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 the right to voice their own opinion, I'm going to do the same damn thing. And this is something that I've always thought was hugely important. And so why wouldn't I discuss it? And so, yeah, I mean, I've been, um, you know, having conversations and discussions with people that have, you know, the entire spectrum of opinions when it comes to everything, you know, obviously when it comes to, um, you know, the discussion of, of police reform and, um, you know, the discussion of reallocation of funding and, and increasing other social services so that the burden of dealing with things that are not necessarily police matters are not going to, are no longer going to be put on the shoulders of the police that we do have, you know, um, and, you know, just talking about, you know, the past of our nation, like, just because the just because I mean, everyone's got shit that they regret, you know, or, or not necessarily regret more like, you know, everyone's made choices that weren't great. Everyone's got a past. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we all lived through the 90s. We remember what fashion like was was like then. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and, and, you know, obviously, I'm just trying to make light. Um, and so America has a past that's been rooted in racism. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, when I when I try and talk to someone, they're like, well, you know, all lives matter. I'm like, absolutely every life matters. Yes. No one would ever, ever doubt that fact. Mm -hmm. It's just we have to make sure that we are conscious of saying black lives matter because they do, because unless we recognize that they do, then in essence, all lives aren't mattering. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, you know, gentlemen that I just, you know, have started interacting with on Twitter. I'm not saying you you participated in colonial slavery. <laughs> we we I'm not saying that we have to bury our heads in the sand and refuse to acknowledge the atrocities that took place in our nation since the inception of it. We have to recognize it. Like one thing that I love um, that took place during you know apartheid or not during apartheid after post apartheid in South Africa is they had a commission where they discussed their past. Mm -hmm. And that actually helped with a lot of healing because for me, you know, one of the, the biggest things that I've learned, you know, in, in my short time here on this planet, um, relatively speaking, not in comparison to a lot of people, I, I'm, I'm 36, so I'm not quote unquote young. I still tell fart jokes, but I'm, you know, I've been around for a while, <laughs> is that it's all about constant communication and acknowledging our past and saying that, transgressions took place, that atrocities took place, that can go a long way, you know, and that's one reason why people want to be told, you know, if, if they have a, an argument with the, a family member or a lover or something like that, that's why they want to be, you know, the, it, you cannot begin to heal until you acknowledge what took place, you know, apologize, 
again, you don't have to apologize for yourself. You can apologize for the things that happened that you took no part in. Mm -hmm. It's still recognition. And from there, be able to heal. And um, that's all we need to really do is heal as a nation. And with healing comes a, um, a, a freedom from fear. Because that for me, that's one of the biggest problems that we have. Um, is from the time that we're, we're, we're old enough to comprehend, you know, I mean, our parents are always like, don't do this, don't touch that. Society tells us that, you know, like, um, you know, in school is like, you know, don't do this or, you know, the rules say you can't be here, whatever it is, you know, it's like, well, you know, instead of living with fear of what you can't do, why not focus on the things that we can do, you know, and we can make change. And, so, you know, a, a big part of it for me is, you know, understanding and, and realizing, especially with everything that I've gone through over the last, you know, year or so, is if you want to see change in the world, be the change you want to see. Yes. And so that's why I just feel like I'm doing my my little part, you know, and, and obviously would I love it if there were more, um, you know, not even just athletes, just people in general that were willing to have these uncomfortable conversations and have these conversations and with, with open hearts and open minds, with love in your heart. And, you know, again, I'm not sitting here and saying, uh, Joe Schmo, you're a bad person because you were the reason why slavery existed 450 years ago. It's nothing to do with that. You know, this yeah. is all about just opening up dialogue and having mm-hmm. lines of communication and, you know, Seeing how high we can take the, you know, we, I want everyone, you know, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter the, the, the gender you were born with, it doesn't matter, um, you know, what, what, what religion you are. I want to see all of humanity reach the greatest heights imaginable, and I want everyone to have the same opportunities to reach those heights. And so, yeah, let's have these conversations. Let's, let's, let's see what we can do to make change. Let's see how we can help one another. Let's see how we can love one another. And by virtue of doing that, we're going to be able to help ourselves and, and we will just continue to skyrocket when it comes to our um, um, potential. Yes, I think that's amazing. And I hope that you never stop <laughs> because and even with all these haters who say that, you know, you're an athlete, you're not entitled to your opinion. Yes, of course you are. I love that. Um, before I let you go, because I know that you are tight on time. The podcast is called Why You Suck at Golf. And why do you think most people suck at golf? I think most people suck at golf because they are, again, a lot of it is just what I was saying a minute ago about how we were raised to be fearful. So the number of times I'll, you know, if I'm in a pro-am or if I'm playing golf with uh, some of my amateur friends or whatever, and they're like, oh my God, how am I supposed to hit this fairway? My golf course, Orange Tree Golf Club, like I said, in Orlando, Florida, our fairways are probably, you know, 21 to 24 yards wide. And then once you're off the fairway, you have anywhere from five to 10 yards of rough or a fairway bunker. And then you're in someone's backyard. And so there are white (laughs) stakes everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I never worry about hitting one out of bounds. I never even worry about hitting one off the fairway because, you know, for me, I sit there and I say, okay, a lot of the reason why people suck at golf is due to perspective. Take a 20 yard fairway. Mm-hmm. Like you would say that's fairly narrow, right? Yeah, that's pretty narrow. Okay. 20 yards. How many feet are there in a yard? Three. 
And how many inches are there in a foot? 12. So if you multiply 12 inches by three feet by 20 yards, you're, you're presented with 720 inches. If you divided that number by 1.68, which is the diameter of a golf ball in a 20 yard fairway, you can hit 427 point, I don't know, like four, five, seven or four, two, seven or something like that golf balls. You only get one, one golf ball sitting in a 20 yard fairway comprises of less than a quarter of a percent of the fairway. My mind is blown. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and, 643 oh, wow. where you are right now in the morning. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and on top of that, another thing, you know, people will sit there and be like, oh, my God, like, I don't want to shank it or I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. And I sit there and I'm like, why? One, first of all, it's an, it's an inanimate white object. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. It can hold all of your greatest fears and you know, all of this anxiety or whatever. Um, two things. One, chemically speaking in your brain, anxiety and excitement are chemically the same. It's just a matter of the, the emotion that you associate it with. Mm-hmm. Nervousness comes from a negative mind space. Excitement comes from a place of positivity. And two, just like, I mean, again, golf is such an amazing parallel to life. Why would you be scared of something that has not happened yet. Every second that we live is an opportunity. It's all whether it's all in how you take that opportunity and what you choose to do with it. You know, at the end of the day, golf is simple math. Backswing plus downswing plus follow through equals what the golf ball is going to do. It's everyone overcomplicates things. And I think that the better you become at golf, you know, the more strokes you start shedding off your score, you know, I mean, and, and that's one of the things that is so fascinating and incredible and beyond infuriating about golf is the better you get, the harder it, the harder it is to improve. And the game itself never changes. Mm-hmm. Golf itself is never changing. It's what we do that changes everything. It's what we do where we sit there and we try and do something fancy. We try and, you know, figure out this or figure out that. If we can just get out of our own way, I think people would be astounded by how little effort it will take to get better, the better that you are. Yes, absolutely. All great things, really, all great things. But I'm so excited to see what you do in the rest of your season and um, please keep posting everything on social media. I love following you. You're so fun to watch. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all your thoughts. I really appreciate it. Of course. Of course. It was awesome to be with you. And I'm, again, I'm sorry I woke up late. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're totally fine. So shit. Uh, so shit. <laughs> well, enjoy California and have fun adventuring. I will. Thank you so much for having me on, Avery. This was awesome to talk to you. All right. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Bye. Bye. Wow, I love how she put a fairway into perspective and how tiny a golf ball seems when you do the math. That's what we need. We need that confidence going into our last hole, our first hole, whatever it may be. Golf is all about perspective. She's so right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast with her. She's incredible, as you can tell. And if you did, rate it five stars. Thanks for coming on to another episode of Why You Suck at Golf. You can find me on social media at Avery underscore Dovsek. That is A-V-E-R-E-E underscore D-O-V-S-E-K. Thanks for hopping on and we'll see you on the next one.